Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Supporting Individuals with Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities as They Age. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on December 18th, 2019. In this podcast, Karen Davenport from the Lewin Group facilitates a discussion with Debbie Pfeiffer, the Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities Administrator at Aetna Better Health of Kansas. Callie Simmons, a service coordinator at Aetna Better Health of Kansas, and lastly, Sharon Spurlock, the Director of Family Supports at the St. Louis ARC. During this discussion, they answer questions regarding tools and strategies to support members with intellectual and developmental disabilities, including charting the life course tools. Um, I'd like to pose the first question to Debbie and Callie. Um, specifically, what were your goals for implementing the Charting the Life Course Framework for members with li living with IDD? And were there specific challenges you hoped to address? Um, well, hi, Karen. Thanks for having us. Uh, at, 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 we have a National Medicaid Advisory Council, and the council looked at Charting the Life Course because it's complementary to our integrated supports model. So we have that whole person approach where we look at the body, mind, and spirit, so that biopsychosocial approach. And the framework's principles and tools help support and enhance what we are already doing. And of course, it's helpful for our members with planning and developing what they want and developing their services and supports. So Dr. Reynolds' team, I think, has a really great analogy of a coat hook. And I think it's kind of helpful in describing how we use it um, and how it works with us here at Aetna. So we can take all the various practices and approaches that we use now, like motivational interviewing, trauma-informed care, and the, um, the framework acts as a coat hook to kind of hang all those practices and approaches that we use on. And then the framework kind of helps shape and guide us as we continue to use those person-centered practices um, while it's also helping build and kind of enhance our current approach. Thanks, Debbie. Callie, is there anything you wanted to add? Yes, thank you. Um, as a service coordinator, my overall goal was to utilize the framework to ensure that my focus always remains on my members and their goals, specifically what they want for their life and what their vision for a good life is. By utilizing the framework, it's helped to create a common language between myself, my members, and their families, and it also helps provide continuity when individuals change providers or go through other life transitions. It helps ensure that what the member wants for their life is at the forefront and doesn't get lost along the way, which helps avoid gaps in services as well as helps ensure quality of care. Terrific, thanks Callie. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Um, which we'll be asking to everybody. Um, let's discuss how a person-centered framework helps you support integrated and coordinated care for members with IDD. Um, Sharon, maybe you'd like to start us off? Yes, thank you. Uh, for me, I think one of the biggest pieces is that opportunity to have that person's planning views included within the context of their family. The, this allows everybody to have a voice at the table. As Callie mentioned, the common vocabulary and individuals with disabilities and families often feel like their voice isn't necessarily welcome at the table and the language 
is universal so that they know that they're welcome. And, and then we're all participating in a platform of broad-based planning and problem-solving that can occur across the lifespan. Thanks, Sharon. Kelly, could you add your perspective? Yes, absolutely. Um, utilizing the framework really helps to facilitate conversations with members and their families. I have personally found that it can be extremely useful for individuals who have lived with their aging parents their entire lives. By mapping family roles and working through their vision for the future and what their good life is together, it really helps to address all of the important aspects of that person's life like where they want to live or who they want to live with, important aspects of their routine or community engagement. Um, it really just applies to all aspects of life. I actually have a member whose morning routine is very, very important to him. He prefers to have his morning beverage, which his mother gives him every day before he takes his medication. And if his medication is given to him before he has that beverage, he'll refuse to take his medication. By having these conversations and knowing what's important to my member, you have the understanding that this isn't actually refusal. He just wants to follow his routine that he's always followed with his mother, which is vital as you look to transitioning to um, different support settings. Thanks for that example, Callie. That brings things um, into a really great focus. I'm um, going to move to the, the next question, which I'm going to pose to Debbie and ask her um, how Aetna has approached implementing the Charting the Life Course Framework. I know that's something that you are in the midst of right now. What staff training and member education and other steps did you take and where are you now in this process? Well, the first thing we did was we contracted with um, Dr. Reynolds and her team at the University of Missouri, Kansas City for their expertise in developing the program. Then we did some introductory training for our service coordinators, and Kelly and I did an in-depth ambassador training, and the ambassador training is moderated by um, the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and it's kind of an in-depth six-week coaching and online class about the principles of the life course. It kind of allows a deep dive into the framework and allows people to become uh, subject matter experts to coach others and kind of be an internal resource. Um, so after that, in October, we trained almost 300 people along with um, the University of Missouri, Kansas City. We trained all of our service coordinators, and we also held community trainings. And in the community trainings, we trained our members, their families, and providers as well. So it's very important to us, as uh, Kelly had mentioned, we want a common language. So as we trained our service coordinators, we wanted our members to be trained uh, with that same information so we could start that common language. Uh, so after that, our next step is in January, we will have 15 of our service coordinators take that ambassador training, that in-depth training, so we'll have uh, some more subject matter experts. So that's where we are right now. Thanks, Debbie. Um, let's move on to the, the next question, which is, what tools and strategies do you find most useful in your work supporting members with IDD? Debbie, do you want to kick us off? 
Uh, sure. Um, so we have a lot of the different tools. Um, I think, Kelly, actually, you probably have some good examples of some of the tools that you've used. Do you want to explain some of those? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Debbie. Um, I think for me in my role, what I've found most useful about charting the life course is my ability to integrate the framework and the principles naturally into conversations that I'm already having with my members and their families. And that's not to say that when I sit down and I'm having these conversations that I'm immediately pulling out a piece of paper to go through these concepts with my member. Um, you have the ability to build the thinking of the framework and the questions into the conversations that you're already having with them. And in doing so, it helps to have a more person-centered conversation that focuses on the individual and helping them identify their path to their vision of a good life. Um, the trajectory of a good life, which Dr. Reynolds showed earlier, I find is especially helpful um, in discussing with individuals what their good life is. Sometimes it is a lot easier for my members to immediately know what it is that they don't want. And what I like so much about the trajectory is that you aren't forced to begin at a specific place. It really just helps start the conversation. And by discussing what an individual doesn't want, you really can work towards figuring out what it is that they do want. Um, I also find that the life domain vision tool can be very, very helpful in drawing out what's most important to the individual that I'm working with. Um, when you go through and work with an individual on ranking different aspects of their life and where it ranks in importance to them, spirituality could be number one, and it could be vital to them to attend certain religious events during the week, while their medical needs and services may be further down the list. And Callie had mentioned um, using the tools. We, you can use a combination of tools with people, too. We had a service coordinator who shared uh, how she used two tools with um, one of her members using the directory and the integrated support star. And as Callie said, one of the benefits of the tools is you don't need to pull out a piece of paper when you're working with someone. It just kind of helps your, um, your thinking, and it helps guide conversations when you're working with someone. So the service coordinator shared a story of how she was working um, with a member and they were trying to find out what the person wanted and didn't want in regard to her plan. So they used the trajectory to find out what she defined as her good life. And she defined that as being around family, participating in the community, and not being in a nursing home. And so that was where she wanted to go and also where she didn't want to go in her life. So then they started working on what kind of supports she needed. So they used the integrated support star, and that helped identify um, what she had and what else she needed. So using that star, they were able to look at what resources she had. For example, she had a smartphone, which is a technology support that also can be helpful with maintaining relationships, and it's also a safety support. So they were able to help to um, identify areas where she needed more support and encourage independence in areas where she was doing really well in. So I think those tools really help identify those existing supports and where more supports may be needed. Terrific. Thank you, Debbie. Sharon, um, I know you've had a, a lot of experience with these tools and strategies too. Um, could you share some of your experience? 
Absolutely. I think this is such a hard question because every tool is useful in many different ways. Um, so I've used all the tools uh, with a variety of, of populations and, and for myself as well, which is if you haven't used them to think through, plan, and problem solve in your own life, that's a great starting place. So when you asked me this question, I really thought about the portfolios that are available through Charting the Life course. And really a portfolio is a bundling of three of the tools that we've talked about already here. It includes the one-page profile, the trajectory, and the star in one handy four-page document. So it really gives somebody a complete um, picture of where they who they are, where they want to go, and the resources they need to get there. Um, and it's a nice thing to be able to take uh, with you to travel into vi different settings. One thing that individuals and families tell me is that they're tired of having to repeat their story over and over again. So this is a nice way to share their story um, or parts of it without having to redo that. So with the one-page profile, it's, it's such a nice way to build people's ability to express themselves and also understand what it is about them that is important in their lives, what they're good at, um, what they know a lot about. So it's, it's a great uh, self-determination tool. The trajectory sometimes is the first time people have been asked to, to share what it is they want in their lives and have the, the steps to be able to move forward with that. And then another aspect of the integrated STAR, in addition to being able to come up with strategies using a variety of techniques to problem solve, it also creates a lot of buy-in. If I identify a strategy that I'm really invested in, in technology or something I want to use in the community, I'm a lot more likely to follow through because I came up with that idea and I've said that it's something that makes sense to me. So um, sometimes using these tools is helpful to get a conversation to a common ground, uh, working with somebody who's an adult who has their own ideas about their life and their parents have their own ideas. It can be really helpful to kind of look through uh, the trajectory and see where is their common ground and where is there a difference and what does that look like. Um, I talked to a family where... Um, Mom and son had different opinions about where where they were he wanted to go down the road, but being able to look at that trajectory, we were able to see that uh, there were common areas where they both wanted to have him keep working. It was important to him. Um, he wanted to have friends, and she wanted him to have friends too, but there was areas where they needed to have conversations like future living environments. And there was also opportunities to take advantage of some of the things he wanted to look at concerns there were with his health. It, you know, if he had some issues with his health, he could play sports, which he was excited about, or do things with friends to, to have better health goals. Thank you for those examples, Sharon. Move on to the next question. Um, and I'd like to ask all three panelists, how has implementing this framework promoted culture change from a medical model to more person-centered care? Debbie, do you have some general thoughts or a specific example to share? Sure. I think one of the main things, it, it helps remind us that services themselves are not the end goal. The end goal is people living their vision of a good life. So the services and supports are there to help them get 
where they want to go. Like Dr. Reynolds said earlier, um, we have a mentality of how do we fix this person, not how do we best support this person. So I think the framework has helped with that. It brings the focus to what members think is important, not what we think is important. So we tend to sometimes think that medical services are top priorities to address, but our members may not have that same priority. One of our service coordinators shared a story with us that I think kind of um, shows how the the Trend Life course helped her readjust her thinking with that. She told us about one of her members who had a lot of challenges. So they used a trajectory and uh, to find out what the member's version of the good life was. So they talked about what she wanted and the barriers that she had. So afterwards, the service coordinator shared that the member had a lot of pressing basic needs, like she needed a phone and a washer and a dryer. So to our service coordinator, those were the most important issues to address immediately. But by using the trajectory tool, they what they found was members' vision of a good life was reconnecting with family members. So that's what her primary, that's what she wanted, rather than addressing the other needs right away. So it's not to say that those other things weren't important and not needed to be addressed, which they were, but her definition of a good life emphasized relationships. So the service coordinator said that she would have prioritized things differently and she would have emphasized things um, that were not as important to the person. So by using the trajectory, the service coordinator was able to kind of readjust um, and see that what she thought was a high priority was not for um, her member. So I think it's kind of it shows that the service is not the end goal, but keeping the focus for this person on relationships was the primary goal. So it was very helpful um, in planning her supports. I think Callie has another um, example of that as well. Yes, I do. Thank you, Debbie. Um, during a planning meeting, while discussing physical and medical needs with a member that had a physical disability, the service coordinator learned that he was really most interested in overcoming barriers to social interaction. He really wanted to be more active in his community, and the coordinator was able to help identify transportation and other resources to help make this happen. By using the framework, the service coordinator was able to look beyond just physical health needs and look also at social determinants of health and this member really wanting to be more active in his community. The service coordinator was able to provide education and resources that allowed this member to live his best life and continue doing the things that he enjoys most. Terrific. Sharon, I think you um, have an example that listeners can also look at in the downloads and the Life Trajectory Hospice download. Yes, thank you. Uh, so the trajectory, one of the things that um, Shelley challenged us with the last time we spoke is that, you know, the time frame for the trajectory is not dictated. So it can be a year, two years, but it can also be a day. And as Dr. Karen's referenced, we are supporting people through their whole lives now, and, and that includes uh, aging and end-of-life support. So we've really had to change a lot of the way we deliver services to support people through end-of-life when they're getting hospice, 
practice and palliative care. So the sample that I've given you is a vision for a good day for somebody that is in hospice that um, still has a lot of kind of rules and restrictions around the way we deliver services that probably don't make sense for them. So when we looked at Bob's good day, we realized that he didn't want to get up for 7 a.m. medications. He wanted to be able to sleep until he was ready to get up. He wanted to spend more time talking to his family. He just wanted to be comfortable, have comfy clothes and good music. And what he didn't want was to be in pain. He didn't want people to be poking and prodding him without understanding what was going on. And he was done with his low-fat, low-cholesterol diet. And I think... It's sometimes we forget that those are the priorities for that person in that moment, and we fall back into doing things the way we our systems are set up to, to do. So with this trajectory, we were able to go back and talk to the doctor about making his medication orders more flexible so that we could do something differently for him. We got rid of the diet off the doctor's orders because who really cares at that point? And we were able to have really good conversations with his family about how they could be more present in his home and in his life during this time. So all of those things um, also created a really nice one-page document that the staff could look at every day to remember what their priorities were so that every day of Bob's life was going to be really great. Thank you, Sharon. Let's move on to um, the next question. And that's basically what free feedback on the framework have you received from your staff and your members with IDD and their families and caregivers? Debbie, would you like to start us off? Sure. The two things that I've heard the most from our staff are the framework has been very helpful in initiating difficult conversations and guiding conversation, guiding conversations with our members. So that's the, the two things we've heard the most. Uh, it's been a great reminder of why we do what we do, and it's a way to ensure that the whole person is being addressed and not just the medical needs. And I think it's starting to help with that common language with our members. As far as uh, feedback from our families, we've had a family who's, who's used the Targeting Life course already. Um, they were concerned about the stress that their son experiences around team meetings. So he and his family completed a lot of the life course materials in advance, and they sent it to the service coordinator before his meeting. So it was a great way for the service coordinator to learn about him, and it created a less formal atmosphere and kind of helped build that common language. So it was a great way to get up to speed, and it made his meeting so much more useful um, for him, and he was able to discuss what he wanted. So it was great for, um, for that family. Terrific. Hallie, what have you heard? Well, in my experience, it really helps to just put the member voice at the forefront of my interactions um, with my members and their families. And it really has also helped shape the way that I think about the conversations that I'm having with them, which has truly helped them to be more meaningful. Um, for example, I was working with a son and his mother, and when we were discussing what his vision of a good life was and what was most important to him personally, the mother actually teared up during our conversation and commented that no one had ever asked anything really beyond his specific, specific medical needs or saw him as a whole person in that manner before. 
So we really can provide better support by looking at the whole person and utilizing the framework is really helpful to do that. Thanks, Kelly. Sharon, can we turn to you? You bet. Uh, so as I alluded to earlier, I think having that piece of paper, being able to do the planning in advance, families have told me how much they appreciate the opportunity to organize their thought thoughts, and it gives them what they call paper courage to be able to walk into a room and really um, actively engage with professionals that sometimes have had other agendas in the past. I think we forget that individuals with disabilities and their families have been sitting in these meetings sometimes for decades with people prescribing what needs to happen to them. So uh, it, it's been, I think, um, exciting for many individuals and families to take ownership of that. Um, I also mentioned earlier having those conversations between parents and their children with disabilities about where where there's maybe a dif disagreement. As a professional, that can be a really uncomfortable kind of a conversation, but it's so important to be able to make sure that all voices are at the table and we come to some common understanding as decisions are being made. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, Matt and his mom had some disagreements about future living arrangements, but what a great opportunity for us to then have a little bit more conversation about why he thought it would be better to have an apartment, why she thought it would be better for him to live with a sibling, and at that point, the opportunity comes up to really engage the adult sibling in the conversation, and we haven't really talked about siblings very much, but certainly for aging adults, those siblings are the ones that often are going to be the people that are providing care for and about that person in the future, and we want to make sure that their voices are heard. And many adult siblings say, I've never had this conversation. I've never had it with my brother or sister with a disability, and I've never had it with the parents. So everybody can be engaged in that conversation and that future planning. Uh, another example uh, was to kind of talk about retirement between a mom and daughter. And we had somebody who was telling us, I want to retire, I want to retire. But what did that really mean? So being able to engage in the conversation, really for that person, they wanted to be able to take a day off once in a while. And as somebody that is in my late 50s, I like to be able to, to take a break once in a while. Folks with disabilities don't realize that they have that permission all the time. So as we got into that conversation, what happened was we supported this person to advocate with the boss. Can I take a day off periodically, a mental health day? And they were fine with that. And so it wasn't really that they wanted to retire and give up their income, give up their friends. They just wanted to make a little bit of a change in their lives. So again, I think the conversations that come out of the framework and the tools are the, the important piece. Thank you, Sharon. We're going to, I want to make sure we have time for questions and answers, so I think we're going to actually skip the next question. So if you can move two slides ahead, please. Um, and just one final question for the panel then, um, to ask if you have any additional thoughts to share about supporting people with IDD as they age. Um, Debbie, maybe we can start with you. 
Sure. I believe that awareness and education is so important. So just making people aware of some of the specific challenges. Uh, and then planning for the future, I think, is difficult for all of us. But being armed with education about some of the unique supports that may be needed, I think it can help make planning for the future a little bit easier. This is Sharon. Would you like me to go? Yeah, please. Thank you. Great. Um, I think for me, having long-term relationships with people has really impacted my approach in working with people as they are aging. Those relationships really give you that tool to find out what people want and, and then be really creative in problem solving. And I think that is going to be the key to success as we move forward with people, that we don't have all the resources within the developmental disability field, we're going to have to be more creative and look more broadly for the resources that are out within our community. One example of that is that as we're looking at people's health, particularly related to behavioral medications, we're doing a holistic team review now where pharmacists, nutritionists, gerontologists have joined us to make sure that we're thinking through all those components to aging that um, might be impacting somebody's quality of life. Thank you, Sharon. Kelly, any last, last thoughts on this question for us? Absolutely, thank you. For me, as someone that works with individuals of all ages, I really think that the most important thing is is helping members transition through all stages of life successfully while also remaining focused on the things that are most important to them and their vision of a good life. Whether it's transitioning from school to the adult world or supporting individuals as they age, by building relationships with the individuals that we work with, we have the ability to provide consistent support that also acknowledges that people grow and change throughout the course of their life. Um, additionally, these relationships really allow us to have those difficult conversations with people and help them prepare for difficult transitions or challenges they may face as they age. Fantastic. Thank you, Kelly. Um, so that concludes our panel discussion, and I want to give a big thank you to our uh, presenters, Dr. Kieran, Dr. Reynolds, Debbie Pfeiffer, Kelly Simmons, and Sharon Spurlock. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated and coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about the current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.